Recording in progress. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Today is Friday, June 17th, 2022, and we have a lot to speak about today. Um, we are going to jump into reading 6 and 7 of the Torah portion of Balotcha. There's a lot of drama. There's a lot of drama in these readings, as you will see. And uh, it really, I just kind of think, unfortunately, it sets the stage for the next little while, little stretch of the book of uh, Bamidba, book of Numbers, where we have sort of one mishap after the other, complaining, fetching, God getting angry, Moses getting frustrated. It's kind of like uh, this, this kind of sets the stage for the 40 years of wandering in the desert. But you'll see what I mean in a second. Let's jump in. I'm going to share my screen with you. Again, Balotcha. Reading 6, Numbers chapter 10, verse 35. Okay, now, uh, this, this reading, sorry, these two verses are a continuation of what we read in the last reading, a few days ago, where the Torah was describing the trumpets. Um, you know, there were some two solid, sil- solid but two silver trumpets that were hammered out of solid pieces of silver, and the trumpets were the, were the uh, signal for either gathering all the people assembling or just the uh, the leaders of the tribes assembling or uh, the Jewish people kind of moving out in formation to travel. And, and here we go. Numbers chapter 10, verse 35. We continue the theme of, of the traveling. So it was. Whenever the ark set out, Moses would say, Arise, O Lord, may your enemies be scattered and may those who hate you flee from you. Interesting. So the ark would always go kind of at the, at the front, always setting the lead. And so the ark, Moses would say, Arise, O Lord, may, the enemies, may your enemies be scattered, and may those who hate you flee from you. It's kind of like clearing out all the opposition, paving the way for safe and healthy journeys. And when it came to rest, when the ark came to rest, he would say, Repose, O Lord, among the myriads of thousands of Israel, and others settle amongst your people. Let's take a look at Rashi. Um, so was whenever the ark set out. Rashi says, he made marks for it, this passage, before it and after it, as if to indicate that this is not its proper place in Scripture. Interesting. What you need to know is, um, I wish I had a way to show this. Maybe I do. Um, Maybe it's in the Chumash or in the Tikkun. Give me a second. Let me see if I can find a good, a good text to show this. Nope. Oh, yeah, here. Here we go. This is very cool. This is actually super cool. And I'm glad I have what I have to be able to show you. Stop sharing for a second. So you can see my screen. Okay, I have here a tikkun. This is actually used to help the Torah reader prepare for the Torah reading. Um, So here's the, if you can see this, the Hebrew side. This is what it looks like in in a Torah scroll, this side. This side has the vowels and the punctuation. Well, not uh, the vowels and the cantillation marks. And this is just the, the pure text of the, of the Torah. If you look at these two verses that we just read, are, are marked in the Torah with, an, um, with a backwards nun. It's not upside down, it's a backwards nun. Backwards nun there and a backwards nun there. It's kind of like bookended with, uh, with, with the nuns. It's very, very strange. Like, it's like a very weird thing to have like... It's almost like a, it's like a paragraph mark. It's like boom, boom. It's like setting it off from the rest of the narrative. So Rashi asked the question, why? Um, and he explains. So let's get back inside. Now we can understand Rashi. Rashi says, he, Moses, made marks for it before it and after it. And the marks are the, the backwards nuns, as if to indicate that this is not its proper place in Scripture. In other words, it's kind of like this was, cop- this was cut and paste here, but it doesn't really belong here. So why is it written here? Because this is like a random element about the ark, what Moses would say when the ark left and when it settled. Like, 
So Rashi says, to make a break between one punishment and the next. As is stated in chapter 16 of Talmud Shabbat, commencing with the words, all the sacred scriptures. In other words, it's to make a break between what we just read. Let's see what we just read. I don't know that, that there was punishment before. But anyway, we were talking about, we, we talked about the trumpets, we talked about the, oh, the, we talked about the first journey, that's the last thing we do. We talked about the first journey and how Moses was telling his father-in-law to come with us and then, and then they traveled and the cloud lifted. Okay, so then here we're talking about this, um, this, uh, this statement of Moses to the ark, to, to God, when the ark left and when it settled. So Rashi explained it's breaking between one punishment and the next. Again, I don't know what the prior punishment was. It seems like a pretty innocuous story, but I guess it's kind of like setting off or setting, the, you know, setting out this text, breaking it up so that it's kind of like going into a negative story. That's the way I'm understanding it. It's going into a negative story. All right, rise, O Lord. What does that mean, rise, O Lord? Because he had preceded them by a distance of three days' travel. So Moses says, stop and wait for us and do not move any further. I found this in Midrash Tanakhuma. May your enemies be scattered, those enemies who are assembled for battle. Those who hate you flee, those who pursue. So the ones who are assembled for battle and ones who pursue, both should, both should bounce. Those who hate you, those who hate Israel, for anyone who hates Israel hates the one who spoke and the world came into being. As it says, those who hate you raise their heads. Who are they? Those who plot deviously against your nation. So if you mess with, the, with Israel, then you're messing with God. Next, and when it came to rest... The ark came to rest, he would say, Repose, O Lord, among the mirrors of thousands of Israel. Repose, O Lord. Menachem renders the word shuva as an expression of rest. Similarly, in rest, b'shuva, and tranquility, you will be saved. Yes, yeah, like Shabbat, right? Same letters, same shin, bet, shav, shev, shuv, Shabbat. All right, the mirror of thousands of Israel, this teaches that the divine presence does not rest on Israel if they number fewer than 22,000. Okay? Very specific number. Next, Numbers chapter 11. We start with a new, well, at least in the, the English side, a new chapter and a new topic. And this is, I think, what Rashi meant when he said it's to set off this text from a negative story. So here's the negative story. The people were looking to complain. That's how Rashi, this is translation based on Rashi. The people were looking to complain. And it was evil in the ears of the Lord. The Lord heard and his anger flared. And a fire from the Lord burned among them, consuming the extremes of the camp. The Torah doesn't specify what complaint they had, but we're going to see Rashi soon. The people cried out to Moses. Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So there's literally a complaint. God is not happy with it. A fire breaks out and is... Consuming people, people cry out to Moses, Moses prays to God, and the fire dies down. He named the place Tab'era, Tab'era, for the fire of the Lord, Kivara. Tab'era is the name Tab'era, Kivara, that means burn. The fire of the Lord had burned among them there. Tab'era means a place where things burned. But the multitude, it's not over yet. But the multitude among them began to have strong cravings. Then even the children of Israel once again began to cry, and they said, who will feed us meat? So if that wasn't enough, if the initial complaints weren't enough, then we have another complaint. And the complaint now here is about meat. Remember, they were eating manna from heaven. And manna, although it could taste like everything or anything, it still wasn't, you know, it still wasn't the same, apparently. And they were now craving meat. And they said to Moses, or they began to cry out to whoever would listen. We remember the fish that we ate in Egypt free of charge. As if it didn't come with uh, some strings attached. The cucumbers, the watermelons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our bodies are dried out. For there's nothing at all. We have nothing but mana to look at. That was the complaint. This is complaint number two already of this reading. I told you, I think I kind of said in the beginning that like this is... From here, for the next little bit, things get a little bit dicey. With complaining and punishment and wandering, it's like the whole thing. Um, and so this is the complaint. We only have money to look at. We don't have anything. Where's the cucumbers, the watermelon, the leek, the onion, the garlic, the meat? 
Nothing. Now, the, the, the narrator of the Torah, as it were, is jumping in for a moment. Now, the mana was like coriander seed, and its appearance was like the appearance of crystal. So just, just so you know what it looked like. The people walked about and gathered it. Then they ground it in a mill or crushed it in a mortar, cooked it in a pot, made it into cakes. It had a taste like the taste of oil cake. And with this verse, the Torah is telling us that it could taste like anything. You know, the, famous, uh, the famous teaching about manna is that it could taste like anything. Whatever a person wanted it to taste like, that's what it tastes like. And so this is alluded to in the fact that it says that what, what did they do with the manna? They ground it in a mill, crushed it in a mortar, cooked it in a pot, made it into cakes. In other words, whatever you wanted to do with it, you could. It was a magical food. It could taste like anything. You could do anything with it. It was amazing. The Torah is, is, is uh, kind of giving testimony in contrast to the complaint. The people were complaining, we got nothing. We got nothing. Where's the meat? Where are the cucumbers? Watermelon, leeks, onions, garlic, only manna. So the Torah is telling us, by the way, this manna that they're complaining about was the superfood. It was amazing. And how did it come to them? When the dew descended on the camp at night, the manna would descend upon it. It was amazing and they didn't have to work for it. You want fish? You got to go fishing. You want the other things? You got to plant. Here they had to do nothing. It was superfood, miracle food, delivered to their doorstep. Well, verse 10, Moses heard the people weeping with their families, each one at the entrance to his tent. The Lord became very angry, and Moses considered it evil. In other words, they're complaining, they're crying, they're crying about the manna. They're crying about the greatest blessing ever. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you treated your servant so badly? What have I done wrong? Basically saying, you gave me, what, what am I doing? What, what can I do with these people? It's, it's impossible. What have I done wrong that, I, that this is my job, right? Why have I not found favor in your eyes that you place the burden of this entire people upon me? It's too much. Did I conceive this entire people? Did I give birth to them that you say to me, carry them in your bosom and as the nurse carries the suckling to the land you promised their forefathers? In other words, why am I, why am I bearing the entire responsibility for all the complaints, for all the kvetching, for all the unhappiness? It's all like, I'm the only one. I'm like, I'm the, the mother, the father, and the therapist, and the rabbi. I'm like, I'm doing everything. It's too much. Where can I get meat? Hey, Sandrine. Good to see you. Welcome, welcome. He says, where can I get meat to give all these people? We're learning about the complaints. The people were in the desert. They complained. All we have is mana. We want real food. And so Moses says to God, what am I supposed to do? Like, it's like the people, it's impossible. Where can I get meat to feed all, to give all these people? For they are crying on me saying, give us meat to eat. Alone, he says to God, I cannot carry this entire people for it is too hard for me. Sounds like he's about to quit, by the way. He's like, I can't, I can't do this alone. If this is the way you treat me, he says to God, please kill me if I found favor in your eyes. Do me a favor and take my life so that I do not see my misfortune. There's no way I can be successful in carrying this people alone. Okay, this is pretty, this is pretty stark. This is pretty, uh, pretty harsh. Um, pretty raw, pretty vulnerable. Then the Lord said to Moses, by the way, this is the same, I just got to clarify, this is the same Moses who went to bat on behalf of the Jewish people multiple times. When God said, I'm angry, I'm upset, I'm going to take the people out, Moses was the ultimate advocator for the people. And yet, at this point, he's not advocating, understand this, he's not suggesting that God punish the people. He's just saying, I can't do this. Like, I love these guys, but they're driving me bananas. I can't do this anymore. So we got to make a plan here. I, I can't do this alone. This is essentially a request for help, a request for additional staffing. Let's continue inside. Then the Lord said to Moses, you need more, you need more people? We'll get you more people. Assemble for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the people's elders and officers. Choose the top 70 
and you shall take them to the tent of meeting and they shall stand there with you. Now the tent of meeting, of course, is the, as we know by now, many times, is the covered Mishkan tabernacle building. Courtyard, surrounded by a fence or whatever, and the building in the middle, bring them to the tent of meeting. I will, God says, I will come down and speak with you there and I will increase the spirit that is upon you and bestow it upon them. I'm going to magnify, intensify the spirit. That means the divine spirit or prophecy, whatever it is. I'm going to intensify the spirit that's on you and have it flow over, overflow to the 70. Then they will bear the burden of the people with you so that you need not bear it alone. They will be, they will have some of your gifts, leadership abilities, divine intuitions, whatever it is. They will have some of your leadership qualities. They will be able to share the burden with you to help carry these people so that it's not all on your shoulders. Okay, so that's regarding Moses' request for help. Now, what about the people? And to the people, you shall say, God says, now tell the people this, prepare yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat. You ask for meat? Okay, I'll give you meat. Because you have cried out in the ear, cried in the ears of the Lord, saying, Who will feed us meat? For we had it better in Egypt. Yeah, you're complaining. You want meat? It was better in Egypt. Okay, you're, you're, you're going with that narrative. Okay, therefore the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You want meat? You'll get meat. You shall eat it not one day, not two days, not five days, not ten days, not twenty days. But even for a full month, you want meat? I'm going to give you meat. Not once a week, not twice a week, every single day for a full month until it comes out of your nose and nauseates you. Pretty sure that's an expression, not literally come, come out of your nose, but it's like the expression until it's like, you know, it's funny because even till today, I think there's an expression of like coming out of the nose or like, oh, it's coming out of my nose or some, something, I think so, something like that. So here, clearly, it's a biblical expression. They'll be so sick of it. It's going to be like just oh, meat. Like, oh, I can't eat meat anymore. Why? Why? Why is this going to happen? Why overkill? Why overload? Because you have despised the Lord who is among you, and you cry before him, saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? You're, 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 you're complaining? You want to go back to Egypt with the cucumbers and the leeks and the watermelon? Okay, no problem. You want meat? No problem. I'm going to give it to you in excess. Now, Moses continues the narrative. Moses says, 600,000 people on foot are the people in whose midst I am, and you say, I will give them meat and they will eat it for a full month? Moses, it's interesting, seems like he's questioning God's ability. He says, let's do the math here. It's 600,000 people on foot. That means like the, the soldiers, Right? It's really 600,000 heads of households, more or less. You got a few million people here. And you're saying I will give them meat and they'll eat it for a full month? If sheep and cattle were, were slaughtered for them, would it suffice for them? How are we going to get so much food? If all the fish of the sea were gathered for them, would it suffice for them? Again, it, se it seems like Moses is questioning God's ability. Straight up. It seems like that. That Moses is saying, God, you're promising them meat? How are you going to pull that off? Where are you going to get all that food from? Then the Lord said to Moses, is my power limited? you questioning me. Can I, do, can I pull it off? Now you will see if my word comes true for you or not. Again, this is a very strange dialogue. I, I'm not going to lie. This is, you may be finding it strange as well. It's very strange, very unusual. First of all, Moses like cries in desperation, throws his hands up. I can't do it anymore. That's like out of character. For Moses, who, you know, the, the warrior hero. Then you have God saying, well, I'm going to do it. I'll, I'll give them what they want in excess. And then Moses questioning God's ability. Seems like very strange. For, you know, seems like Moses is going off into a uh, very questioning place. Questioning um, God's plan. Questioning his own ability. Questioning God's ability. Questioning, uh, uh, um, criticizing the people, essentially. It seems like a break from character. Of course, the commentaries have multiple spins on this. 
to make, you know, to make, uh, to, to, to share a different light on it, which we'll get into a little bit. But this is certainly how it appears. Let's continue. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. Now that's probably regarding the meat. And he assembled 70 men of the elders of the people and stood them around the tent. So there are really two communications, right? One communication was um, about transferring or augmenting the power of Moses to bestow it upon 70 others. And the other one was, you're going to have meat. So it seems like he told the people first about the meat. And then he assembled the 70 men of the elders of the people and stood them around the tent. So it seems like they're around the tent, not inside. They're around that area. The Mishkan building. The Lord descended in a cloud and spoke to him. And God increased some of the spirit that was on him and bestowed it on the 70 others. Hey, Sandrine, welcome back. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. But they did not continue. So they had a momentary gift of insight and vision. They had prophetic vision. And then... And then that stopped. Even though they had the gifts, that prophecy experience stopped. Now two men remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad and the name of the second was Medad. And the spirit rested upon them as well. These were not of the 70. These were an additional two people. They were among those written, but they did not go out to the tent, but prophesied in the camp. What does that mean? They were among those written. So I'll share with you what Rashi says. Rashi says like this. How did Moses choose 70 people? What did he do? So he chose initially, he chose initially six people per tribe. Six elders, six leaders from each of the 12 tribes. Six times 12 is 72. So you had 72 people now. But you only need 70. Or, or God only said 70. So he had each of them draw uh, like a little lot. So there's a basket, a bucket, a hat, a bin, I don't know, whatever it was. A basin that had slips of paper. That said, um, I forget what it said. Zakein or Navi, whatever. It said something on it. And, and the 72 people picked, and whoever got, 70 of them got a slip that said, you've been, you've been selected to be one of the elders. And two of them got a blank piece of paper, or a paper that didn't say that. And so when the 70 elders gathered, these two, they got the blanks. They didn't go. They stayed in the camp. They were of the original 72 selected for the group, but only 70 made the cut. So two remained behind. And who were they? The Torah tells us, Eldad and Medad. But when the prophetic vision of Moses spilled over on the others, it also went to them because they were also chosen initially from the 72, from, from, from the tribes. And so they had an experience of prophecy in their homes, in the camp, in the tents. Let's continue inside. Now the lad, Joshua, ran and told Moses, Saying, ay, 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 Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Oh, I'm sorry. The lad is probably Moses' son. And then Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant from his youth, answered and says, Moses, my master, imprison them. Lock them up. Silence them. Shh. Censor them. Because they're talking too much. Moses said to him, are you zealous for my sake? If only all the Lord's people are, were prophets, that the Lord will bestow his spirit upon them. You, you're je- don't, don't be a, uh, a kanoi in Hebrew. It's, uh, in English, it would be vigilante. Don't be like all like, oh, we got to do something. Don't be an activist on my behalf. We chose 72. 70 made the cut. These two are saying prophecy. It's fine. Let it be. We don't have to quiet anybody. It's fine. However, the story is much deeper. All these stories are much deeper. Well, I just want to focus on this last story. What did Eldad and Medad say? What were they prophesying? They weren't just you know, giving Super Bowl winners of the next, I don't know, 3,000 years. They were 
saying something very specific. And what they were saying was, Moses is going to die and Joshua is going to be the one to lead the people into Israel. Joshua, we just read, he was Moses' trusty servant. And if you're a servant, what that means is it's all about the master. Joshua did not have an ego. I mean, whatever. It wasn't about him. It was about Moses. So when Joshua heard that Eldad and Medad were saying prophecy, what prophecy? That Moses was going to die and Joshua was going to lead the people. He said to Moses, silence them. Let's not articulate this into reality. The last thing he wanted was for Moses to die and him to lead. He didn't want to lead. He was the servant. He was humble. And Moses says, we're not silencing prophecy. Whatever is, is. Whatever the divine plan is, the divine plan. Of course, that was exactly the divine plan. Moses was going to die. Moses died, passed away in the desert. And Joshua led them into the promised land. But this is a bit of the narrative. I'm just explaining the narrative of why, what they were saying, why Joshua wanted to silence them, and why Moses says, let it be. All right, back inside. Uh, we're going to do Rashi's. There's a lot of Rashi. It's a very long reading. We'll skip around a little bit. Um, we already did the first few. Chapter 11. Oh, yeah, chapter 11. This is where everything goes bankrupt, right? This is where uh, things take a nosedive, as we saw. The complaints, they complained. Um, they, so the Torah says... Well, the translation is the people were looking to complain. And Rashi explains that. Um, that denotes a pretext. They were seeking a pretext to turn away from the omnipresent. Um, a pretext that was evil in God's ears. So they intended that it should reach his ears and provoke him. They were trying to get to God. They said, what, and what was the actual complaint? I told you Rashi was going to help us out. They said, woe is to us. Oh, it's terrible. How weary we have become on this journey. For three days we have not rested from the fatigue of walking. Remember yesterday, uh, two days ago, we were reading about the first journey. The cloud moved. They journeyed. They journeyed for a few days. And what happens? They complain. Oh, we're journeying. Right? It's always, I always say this, never take Jews camping. Always gets a little bit, a little bit uh, hectic. I'm kidding. Right? You can certainly do that, but like just, you know, Jews like to fetch. It's a thing. So they're complaining. Or they were looking for a, for a way to complain. And they complained. Oh, it's too difficult. We're journeying. It's so hard. Now God's anger flared. Right? God said, I meant it for your own good that you should be able to enter the land immediately. In other words, why am I hurrying you up in this journey? Why are you moving nonstop? To get into Israel that much sooner. Now you complain about it. Like I'm trying to give you the blessing that much quicker. So God struck the extremes of the camp with fire. What are the extremes of the camp? Those untouchable because of their baseness. These were the mixed multitude. Rabbi Shem of Manasseh says, the most distinguished among them and the most prominent ones. So either the, 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 the lowest or the most distinguished, different, of opi different opinions as to which ones were, were hit, were punished. The people cried to Moses. This can be compared to a mortal king who became angry with his son. The son went to his father's close friend and said to him, go and ask forgiveness on, behalf of, on, be on my behalf for my father. So God gets angry at the people. The people turn to Moses and they say to Moses, can you negotiate? Can you try to get us uh, some... Some reprieve. And the fire died down. It sank in its place into the earth. For it had turned along one of the sides of the camp. So for had it turned along one of the sides of the camp, it would have gradually rolled along the entire side and caused more destruction. And here it died down. But we're not done yet. That was one complaint. Oh, you were too tired from traveling. Not good. The next complaint was, who will feed us meat? The multitude, the gathering, who are these people? These were the mixed multitude which attached themselves to Israel when they left Egypt. They were basically Egyptians that had joined the Jewish people upon the Exodus. 
The children of Israel, once again, the children of Israel also wept together with them. They wept along with the mixed multitude. Who will feed us meat? Did they not have meat? Rashi asks. Does it not say also a great mixed multitude went up with them of flocks and cattle? So they had their own cattle. You might argue that they had already eaten, it, eaten them. But when they were about to enter the land, is it not written that the children of Reuben and God had much cattle? So what's going on here? The people had, had animals. They took them from Egypt. They brought them into Israel. Clearly they had animals. So why did they complain about meat? The answer is that they were seeking a pretext. It wasn't a real issue. It was fake news. But they were just saying, we want meat. But they were just making up a story to cause problems. And they said, God, you haven't given us meat. What's with this mana? We can't eat anymore. That was problematic. Um, We ate fish in Egypt free of charge. Rashi. How free of charge? It says straw shall not be given to you. They had to work for it. If straw was not given free of charge, was fish given to them free of charge? No, of course not. So what does it mean free of charge? Free from the burden of precepts. Free from the mitzvot. In Egypt, we ate and we didn't have any obligations. Here we have all these obligations and we don't have meat. All right. The cucumbers. The people said, we remember the cucumbers, watermelons, leek, onions, and garlic. Rabbi Shimon says, why did the manna change into everything except for these flavors? Because they were complaining about the cucumbers, watermelon, leeks, onions, and garlic. It means that the manna could not taste like them. Because they are harmful for nursing mothers. Look at this. Who would have thought? They're harmful for nursing mothers. We tell a nursing woman, do not eat any garlic or onion for the baby's sake. This can be compared to a king who gave his son over to a teacher. He sat down and ordered him and said to him, see that he does not eat any harmful food and does not drink any harmful drink. Because of this, the son complained about, this, about his father, saying, not because he loves me, but because he doesn't want me to eat. In other words, meanwhile, God wants to make sure that the diet is healthy, and we're complaining, we don't have these foods. God's like, I know, I want to make sure that everything is okay. Anyway, um, let's continue. We have nothing but manna to look at. I love this Rashi. Manna in the morning, manna in the evening. Ay, it's like a song. I don't know what tune it would be, but manna in the morning, manna in the evening, only manna. Now the manna was like coriander seed. The one who said this didn't say that. This is the narrator. The Israelites said, we have nothing but manna to look at. Whereas God said, wrote in the Torah, the manna was like coriander seed. As if to say, see, all you who... All you who inhabit the world, see all you who inhabit the world what my children are complaining about. The manna is excellent in so many ways. God is basically saying, they're complaining about manna, but let me tell you what manna is. Manna is amazing. <laughs> they're complaining about it. It's amazing. Which, by the way, is a lesson unto itself. Let's do this right now. I want to share this uh, at some point. The lesson is you could have the greatest blessing and you could perceive it as the greatest curse. That's how we can twist things in our head. It'd be like the greatest, amazing blessing, the manna from heaven. I don't have to work for it. It falls on my doorstep. It tastes like anything. It's superfood. No waste, which means everything is biologically designed to be perfectly optimized for the human body and soul. It could be amazing, perfect food. And yet, I don't like it. Why? People. People can complain about anything. That's the human condition. We can complain about literally anything. Let's continue. Um, okay, crystal, precious stone. They walked about and collected it. Denotes nothing but taking a stroll. Now Rashi says, the manna did not actually enter the mill, the pot, the mort, or the mortar, but its taste, cha- I mentioned this before, the taste changed to that of ground crushed or cooked food. Like any food, it's created through grinding, crushing, or cooking, manna could taste like it, except for those things that we mentioned above. And a pot, oil cakes... We're skipping. Moses heard the people weeping with their families. Families gathered in groups weeping so as to publicize their grievance. They had like, um, I don't know, Facebook groups. of Like, let's meet up and cry to get attention. Our sages say the meeting is concerning family matters. That is because intermarriage among family members was forbidden to them. Oh, they were complaining about not being able to marry into the family. Well, yeah, that's incest. Whatever. I don't know. That's, that's another opinion. Okay? Um, let's continue. 
second. Okay. Let's, so Moses complains. We just skipped those rushes. We're like, they're just, we're not going to go into them. That, so Moses complains, number one, I can't do it alone. Number two, what, where am I going to get the meat from? So God says, okay, let's deal with the issues. Number one, assemble for me. This is re- response to your complaint that you cannot do it alone. Now, who were the first group of elders? Had they not sat with them even in Egypt, as it says, go and gather the elders of Israel? But they died at the fire in Tavera. Tavera. They deserve this already. It's sign as a rin they perceive God behaving irreverently like someone munching his bread while speaking to the king. So they, they acted irreverently. They felt they were the elders. They were so cool. They could, you know, like munch bread while talking to the king. That's not respectful. This is the meaning of they ate and drank uh, where it says in Exodus they perceive God and they ate and drank. It means that they were like all casual about it. Like, oh, hey, look, there's God. Pass the salt. You know, like, However, God did not want to give cause for mourning at the giving of the Torah, so he punished them here, so they died here. But now there were no elders. That's the point. They died in the complaint of the journey, and then there were no elders, so now they got to create another round of 70. Whom you know to be. Those whom you know that they were appointed as officers over them in Egypt to oversee the rigorous labor. And they had mercy on them. And they, were, they had mercy on, their, on the Jewish people who were the slaves. Okay, basically there were Jewish taskmasters that were put in charge. So they had mercy on their brethren, but because of that they were beaten. As it says, the officers of the children of Israel were beaten. Now, now they shall be chosen in their greatness, just as they suffered in, in their distress. So they were, they were beat, beat up in Egypt. Now they're going to become the elders. And you shall take them with words. Once again, encourage them with words. How fortunate you are, like we did with the Levites earlier this week, how fortunate you are that you've been appointed leaders over the children of the omnipresent. They shall stand there with you so that the Israelites should see and treat them with esteem and honor, saying, how beloved are these who entered with Moses, Moses to hear the speech from the mouth of the Holy One, blessed be he. Basically, they were chosen and everyone should see that they were chosen. So God says, I'm going to take I'm going to increase your spirit and bestow it upon them. What did Moses resemble at that time? A menorah, a candle placed upon a candelabrum. Everything lights from it, yet its brightness is not diminished. It means basically you could light other candles from one candle, but the first candle doesn't, doesn't diminish. Right? You could share light, and it doesn't, it's not a zero-sum game. It doesn't take away from the initial light. So too, Moses will share his spirit upon others, and it's not going to take away from Moses himself. Then they will bear with you, stipulate with them that they take upon themselves the burden of my children who are troublesome and recalcitrant. Okay. Prepare yourselves for punishment. It says, prepare yourselves tomorrow and you shall eat meat. It's two things. Prepare yourselves for punishment. You're also going to eat meat, but it's also not going to be good. Even for a full month, Until it comes out of your nose. You're going to have so much meat until it comes out of your nose. Tiger menders, you will be sickened by it. It will seem to you as if you gorge on it until it is discharged by way of the nose. And nauseates you. Okay. Um. Skipping these rashes. Uh-huh. God says to Moses, now you, now you will see if my word comes true for you or not. Ramagam Liel, son of Rabbi Yehuda the prince, says, Moses says it is impossible to settle their argument. Since they seek only a pretext, you cannot satisfy them. And in the end, they will find fault with you. In other words, you're never going to make them happy because they want to fight with you. If you give them beef, they will say, we ask for mutton. I don't know what that is. And if you give them mutton, they will ask, we ask for beef. Or we ask for venison or fowl. Or we ask for fish and locusts. God replied to him, if so, they will claim that my power is limited. Moses said to him, I will go and appease them. He said to him, now you will see if my word comes true for you. They will not listen to you. Moses went to appease them. He said, is there a limit to God's power? Behold, he struck the rock and water flow. Surely he can provide bread. He said, this is an attempt to compromise. He has no power to fill our wishes. This is the meaning of Moses went out to the people. Since they did not listen to him, he assembled 70 men, etc. So, in other words, there was a back and forth here that's missing from the, from the Torah's script. Based, not missing, it's just not, not, not all the details. The, the entire di- dialogue is not present. Where Moses basically says, God, you're wasting your time. 
with all due respect. If you give them meat, they're going to complain about something else. You're never going to make them happy. And God says, I'll make them, I'll, you'll see. It's going to work out. Um, okay. Bestowed the spirit. Seventy prophesied, but they did not continue on that day. They prophesied on that day only. Oh, the Targum says differently. They did not cease, meaning that their prophetic powers remained. So you could either read it as it did not continue. It was the only prophecy that day and, and, no long, and not after that. Or it did not cease. It's a different opposite meaning, right? Meaning that they, it, it remained. They, they did continue to prophesy. Now, two men remained in the camp from the ones who were chosen. Um, Rashi says what I said. Before, they chose from the 12 tribes, six for each tribe, which, which, rend, which generates 72. So he took 72 slips and wrote on 70 of them, Elder. Oh yeah, Zaki. And two of them he left blank. He then chose six men from each tribe, totaling 72. He said to them, draw your slips from the urn, from the basket. Whoever picked one inscribed with Elder was already sanctified. Whoever picked blank, a blank slip, he said to them, the Ami president does not want you. Well, apparently he does, because they started prophesying in the camp. The lad ran, I told you before, it was Gershom, Moses, oh, it said Moses' son. According to his son, it was Gershom. Joshua says, imprison them. Imprison them. Stop them from speaking. Why? For they were prophesying that Moses would die, and Joshua would take them into the land of Israel. Joshua, that felt uncomfortable for him. So Moses said, are you zealous for my sake? Are you being zealous for what I should be zealous for? It's fine. All right, reading seven. Oh, wow, another, another long reading. Let's do this. We may not do Rashi. We may just read it and then discuss it and then close it out. Then Moses entered the camp, he and the elders of Israel. So now that he has help, he's got a 70, 70 strong plus Moses, now he can give them meat or he can facilitate that. A wind went forth from the, from the Lord and swept quails from the sea. And spread them over the camp about one day's journey this way and one day's journey that way around the camp, about two cubits above the ground. So it was two cubits above the ground is what, uh, th- um, three feet? Three feet. Uh, stockpile with quail and miles. Not miles. Uh, one day's journey this way and one day's journey that way. So a very large area. I mean, yes, I guess miles, but very large area of quails. The people rose up all that day and all night and the next day and gathered the quails. Even the one who gathered the least collected ten heaps. They spread them around the camp in piles. The mead was still between their teeth. These gluttons. It was not yet finished and the anger of the Lord flared against the people and the Lord struck the people with a very mighty blow. He named that place Kivrot Hataiva, Graves of Craving. For they were buried the people who craved. For there they buried the people who craved. Not everyone craved, but those that craved and ate the quail and was stuffing their mouths with the, with the meat. They lost their lives that day. From Kibrot Ataiva, the people traveled to Chatzerot, and then they stayed in Chatzerot. All right, let's, let's see if there's a quick Rashi on this, and then we're going to go to the final story of this week's Torah portion. Rabbi, sorry, I have to leave. I was no worries. able to... Uh... Escape, escape. Oh. I'm, I'm s- to log in, but it was great to, to awesome. log in a little bit and uh, hear it before Shabbos. Awesome. So good Shabbos. See you tomorrow. And yes. Sarah, I hope to meet you one day. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Sandrine. Good Shabbos. Uh, Bye, Sandrine. Good Shabbos. Great to see you. Glad you could join. Okay, we'll finish up some Rashi, then we'll go to the end. Rashi. Um, about two cubits, they flew at a height that they reached a person's heart, so that it would be not so that it would not be difficult for them to gather them. Oh, it doesn't mean that it was stockpiled up, um, you know, from floor to whatever, from ground up to two cubits. It means that they were flying at that height, so a person could either easily grab the quails. They had to neither rise up nor bend down. Three cubits again, two cubits is about three feet. Yeah, it's like around arm, you know, the, the, the height of the arm. Okay, um, they gathered, even the one who gathered the least, gathered 10 heaps. Um, okay, I, yeah, I think we're good here with rashes. All right, final final uh, um, uh, section of the, of the Torah reading. Again, action-packed this week. 
Numbers chapter 12. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses regarding the Cushite woman who he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. They were uh, gossiping about Moses, about the Cushite woman he had married. What Cushite woman did he marry? Since when? He married a Midianite woman. He married uh, Tzipporah, daughter of, um, daughter of Yisra. What kind of Cushite woman? So Rashi explains, no, not Cushite woman, like from the place, from, uh, from the destination. But it means that she was so beautiful. And what was the gossip? Not about her beauty, but about the fact that Moses essentially had moved out from her. He had moved, uh, they had separated. Why they separated? Well, the, real, the reason is because Moses was always speaking to God. And like at Sinai, when God said to the people before Sinai that, that uh, the men and the women should, should not be together for three days before Sinai, so Moses, speaking face-to-face -face with God pretty much at all times, being on call 24-7, he, he just wasn't able to be with his wife. So they essentially separated. And that's what Miriam and Aaron, his siblings, were speaking about. And Miriam was saying the following. They said, has the Lord spoken only to Moses? He's spoken to us too. And we're still together with our spouses. He's not the only prophet in the family. So why is he separating from his wife? We're together with our spouses. Well, the answer, obviously, is that God didn't speak to them the same way he spoke to him. But the Lord heard, and that wasn't right, because they're speaking about him to each other, or Miriam was speaking to Aaron about Moses. If you have a question, speak to Moses. You want to speak about Moses to someone else? That's not okay. Now, this man Moses was exceedingly humble, more so than any person on the face of the earth. So it wasn't about Moses' own ego. Moses was humble. The Lord suddenly said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, all three siblings, go out, all three of you, to the tent of meeting. It's not really time out because that you get kicked out. It's really time in. Go to the tent of meeting. And all three went out. The Lord descended in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent. He called to Aaron and Miriam and they both went out. He said, please listen to my words. If there be prophets among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known to him in a vision. I will speak to him in a dream. So here's the deal. Prophecy for everyone else, including you guys, Moses, uh, Miriam and Aaron, it's in a vision, it's in a dream, it's not, it's not like a face-to-face -face conversation. Not so my servant Moses. He is faithful throughout my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth, in a vision and not in riddles, the clear vision. And he beholds the image of the Lord. So why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? He was really addressing their, the, the, the question that they were asking themselves, which is, why is Moses separating from his wife? The answer is because his prophecy is on a different level than, than yours. That's the answer. That's what God explains to them. The wrath of the Lord flared against them, and he left. The cloud departed from above the tent, and behold, Miriam was afflicted with Sarat, as white as snow. That's how we know, one of the reasons we know that Sarat is connected with Lashon Hara, speaking ill of someone else, gossiping. She did this. She spoke against her brother, to her, to her brother, to her other brother, and now was afflicted with Sarat, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned to Miriam. Behold, she was afflicted with Sarat. Aaron said to Moses, Please, Master, do not put sin upon us by act, for acting foolishly and for sinning. Let her not be like the dead, which comes out of his mother's womb with half his flesh consumed. Look at her. She's, uh, her skin, she's, she's, she's afflicted, very serious affliction. You got to help your sister. Help our sister. Moses cried out to the Lord saying, I beseech you, God, please heal her. We actually use that phrase even to this day to ask God for healing. The Lord replied to Moses, if her father were to spit in her face, would she not be, would she not be humiliated for seven days? So in other words, like if, if her father was angry at her, would it not take seven days to kind of allow that to, to be in that, in that, in that separation? So she shall be confined for seven days outside the camp, and afterwards she may enter. In other words, God says, okay, I'll take away the tzarat, but she's in timeout for seven days. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not travel until Miriam had entered. And the people departed from Chatzerot, and they camped in the desert of Paran. Okay, a lot of drama, a lot of drama here in this reading. We read about complaints about the journey, complaints about the mana. We read about God getting angry. We read about Moses complaining about his job. We read about people prophesying when they shouldn't be prophesying and, and Joshua getting offended and all, all upset. We read about 
um, we read about the quails, the people complaining for meat and then getting struck down with the meat still between their teeth. We're reading about Miriam speaking to Aaron against her, about her brother Moses, gossiping about him and his wife and their relationship and, and then God getting angry and Sarat and seven days of quarantine and it's, it's super dramatic. But I'll end with one story, with one insight. Torah says the people did not travel until Miriam had entered. Right, they, she was in quarantine, everything was on hold. All the journeys were on hold until she was ready to go. And the, our sages say that just like she waited, sorry, in, as a reward for her waiting for her brother Moses when he was put on the Nile River in a basket, the Torah says that she waited to see what was going to happen with him. She didn't leave him alone. She didn't abandon him on the river. She didn't walk away and say, well, I hope he has a good life. I hope someone finds him. I hope God... No, she waited there to help out. And then when he was found and... You know, and, and um, uh, uh, Batya, the daughter of Pharaoh, was trying to nurse him and he wouldn't nurse. And, and so it was Miriam who said, oh, let's, let's bring him. I have someone who might be able. And she connected Moses with his mother, Yochebet. So Miriam took care of Moses and was there, didn't leave, didn't abandon him. And so when Miriam, years later, this is uh, 80 years later, because Moses was just born then and was the 80th year of maybe 81 years later. Exodus happened when Moses was 80. So it's one year later. 81 years later, Yochever, not Yochever, Miriam is afflicted with Sarat, and the people don't leave her side either until she's ready to go, until she's ready to continue their journey. I guess you could say what goes around comes around, in this case, in a positive way, right? What goes around comes around. When we are attentive to someone else's needs, ultimately Hashem will make sure that others are attentive to our needs. When we are there for someone else, we're never going to be left hanging. We're never going to be left alone. And others will be there for us. Which is a beautiful lesson as we go into Shabbos. So, with this, we have concluded Baloska, a very long and dramatic Torah portion. Thanks for uh, being along here for the journey. And I want to wish you a good Shabbos. Good Shabbos, Sarah. Have a wonderful, um, inspiring Shabbos. And we'll pick it up, please God, on Monday. Monday at noon. Shabbos, Rabbi. Shabbos. Where just real quick, where did Rashi get the no fewer than twenty-two thousand number? Uh, you know what that's interesting. That? I think yeah, I think that, and I I don't. Um, my understanding is, and it's not explained in Rashi. I'm sure the commentators on Rashi explain this. The language of the the myriads of thousands, I believe, indicates twenty-two thousand. Why? Because plural is always two, right? If it's thousands. So it's two. And then the myriads is, the myriads of thousands, somehow we're getting 22. There's something about the plurality of the plurality in thousands that make it have to be 22 and then thousand. Something like that. It's a, that's a, the, the grammatical inference. Um, what does it mean and who are these 22,000? I'm not sure, but we'd have to look that up. That's my, 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 uh, my, um, my immediate response for that. That was my thought, at least. Okay. Thank you, Rabbi. Pleasure. Have a good Shabbos. We'll see you on Monday. Take care. Be well. Bye. Bye.